0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe And hey, we are well into 2022. This is February. And this past month, we hosted our uh, UTAP clinic. Last year, it was virtual. This year, back in person. And not only am I excited about that, but more importantly, I'm excited that we were able to bring in two very distinguished special guests we'll get to in a minute. But before that, Coach Joe Krawczyk, our co-host, is in the house. Joe, you're back from... Baby duties. How, how's things going at home, Joe?
1: Oh, um, sleep is no longer a thing. Uh, he's an eating machine, and so he wants to eat a lot early and often. Um, but I love it. I love every bit of it. Uh, you know, there's that, that time at 3 in the morning. You, you, uh, you're you like, man, I could really sleep right now. Then you look at him, and you're like, that's eh, it's not so bad. Um, so it's great. It's great. But it's also really good to be back at work. How's that sleep pattern going for you, Coach? It's just non-existent. It's non-existent. It's just not there. So you're just living on, like – what's your what's your go-to power drink um i got zion's today we're Um, not getting paid for that by the way they're all they're all fair game though (laughs) they're all if it's if it's a two dollar coffee or uh i guess i shouldn't say in the next brand but (laughs) um yeah they're all fair
0: game awesome whatever keeps me awake coach good to have you back congrats on you you, miss Kristen, and and mr david i know it's exciting time so welcome back uh with that let's introduce our special guest and again these two guys uh one of them has been here previous so we're glad you're back coach we'll get to you in a second but we couldn't ask for two more not only uh, super smart and uh, two game changers in our profession leaders i feel like um chris corfus and dan victor welcome to the show how are you guys doing very good
2: doing
3: great
0: enjoying the texas hospitality
2: and the nicer weather
0: in nicer weather nicer weather. now coach victor What's that mean? Nicer, like?
2: (laughs) Well, we had a foot and a half of snow in Rochester, New York, last week. So, (laughs) and the sun's out. So, this is good stuff here. uh,
0: Yeah, it's definitely. uh, I think it was like we were in the eighties before these guys. These guys brought this bad weather. Yeah, two two days days ago. ago. Two days ago, it was
1: eighty. Overnight, it dropped to thirty, and we were kind of like, "Whoa, (laughs) where did this come from?" But.
3: That's Chicago, except we go from twenty to ten
1: below. Yeah, now you're living in our world. And hey, my folks live in South Detroit area, so yep, that's I'm, cold too. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where I grew up. So no, I'm I'm well aware of what it's He's like up there. Here on.
0: I'm Lake I'm Erie, actually. You had it right you earlier got for it me.
2: Wrong oh three God. times.
0: <laughs> well, guys, welcome to the show. I want to do before we get into questions, just a brief introduction on each of you, just so our listeners know if they don't, have never heard you speak or, or know about you a little bit. So Chris Corfus, coach, is a high school. Educator who has coached track and football for, for 30 years. He also owns a Slow Guy Speed School, which is a private training facility that deals with athletes from all levels in sports. He has trained and coached 110 all-state athletes, 86, which are all-state sprinters. He's also co-author of Triphasic Training for Football and the tri- uh, Triphasic Spring Ankle Model. He owns Track Football, Consortium. yeah. There we go. Dot-com, which is a biannual clinic that hosts outside-the-box thinkers who support multi-sport athletes. He is also co-author of the, or co-founder of the Reflexive, RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset uh, courses, which are real popular and, and definitely in demand. Um, the technique where the, the, the athlete can reset their own nervous system for peak performance. So, Coach, glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And Coach Dan Victor, back for a second. Man, Coach, we're so glad you're back. It's great to be back. I know. Love
3: love me some Texas.
0: He's got Texas gear on too. He looks good (laughs) and He's making it look good. (laughs) But real quick, just uh, Coach Dan Victor, just a a guy we love and adore and we're glad he's back. He owns and operates Want to Get Fast Power Speed Training, a performance training business in upstate New York area that offers training to elite athletes. Uh, Victor has traveled the country speaking. To numerous coaches in, for on speed training, strength training, and nervous system development. Dan has coached football at the high school and the college level for for seventeen years, and is currently the head coach, football coach at Arundacuit high, high School, Rochester, New. I struggle with that, so but I <laughs> okay. coach me up. That's okay, you did a great job. Anyway, welcome to the show, guys. Just wanted our listeners to know a little bit about you before you kind of get into your questions. Um, Joe, I'm going to let you kick off the question, so get us started. Appreciate it. Well, Chris, this is your first time on the show, so you get the honor.
1: Um, can you take us take a moment to introduce yourself and talk about your career path, and you know how did you get to where you are now?
3: Well, I grew up playing football, and I was always interested in developing speed because I think I understood that if you run fast, you do better in football. And I think not that my high school coaches didn't do the best that they could, it's just it wasn't what – you know, I wanted. And uh, I've always been researching back in high school how to get faster. You know, I had the Speed City catalog, and that was my Christmas present every year, whether it's an overspeed rubber band or some kind of made-up vertex machine. But uh, I played football at Northern Illinois uh, and GA'd there, and still that was kind of my passion. And then got a job teaching high school, and they hired me as their strength coach, football coach, and track coach. And, you know, i Went with what everyone did traditionally. We're going to get in the weight room and work hard and all that stuff. And I was getting my butt kicked. And I thought, i got to change. I've got to look at some different ways to get faster to, so our program can get somewhere. And that's kind of where my path has been going for the last 30 years. Uh, trying to find ways that I could prove that people got faster. You know, put an electronic timer on someone. Let's see if what we're doing actually works. Uh, and that's kind of how i ended up here is a lot of trial and error um, a lot of questioning a lot of getting rid of stuff that doesn't work and bucking the traditions and you know they say this exercise works that's great it might work for them but it's not working here and maybe it's time to move on yeah
1: absolutely it's kind of funny how it always kind of goes back to our high school days like our first experiences in the weight room and you think back like okay like this is the way to go and then you know, everyone's like, it seems like that new generation moving forward, like, no, it's got to be different now because that, you know, it's just not either how it should have been. And I, don't, I don't, You know, that's no knock on any coaches back then, but.
3: Um, yeah, it's amazing what you grab onto as a young age. I remember yeah. I was in eighth grade and we went to the University of Illinois football camp, you know, because you went to your state football yeah. camp. And we went to the Illinois weight room, which was back in the day underneath the stadium, you know, nothing like what they have now. And the strength coach got up and said, Mitchell Brookins is our fastest guy. He's a 4 4 and he squats 500 pounds. Therefore, we all need to squat 500 pounds. And I thought in the back of my mind, I've got to find a way to get this 500 pounds because then I can run a 4-4. And, you know, I heard it from the University of Illinois strength coach back in 1982 or 81. And yeah. you know, that was something that kind of rode with me all the way through until I had the courage to say, you
0: know what? That dude was wrong. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't see it that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. We've come. You know what? We've come a long way in this field. I, you know, you made me think about. You know, back when I, was, I played football at Georgia, and Coach Dan, you can appreciate as a football coach. Back then, we had our strength coach was from Pennsylvania, Coach John Casey, and they didn't want cameras in the room. And they lit. They literally cleared out this storage shed under the track stadium that had no windows, mm. and they could get us in there and work on us and do all kind of stuff to make us tougher. And I mean, it was just a different. Like today, you have you know trainers and social media and all that. It's just a, it's just come. It's just changed so much. Yeah. You know. again, back then it was more about the toughness and then can you outlast? Yeah. There was really not a lot of science to it. So it's come a long way. And good good ways and bad obviously so anyway
1: yeah and then dan i know you've been on the show before um once again welcome back uh if you could just give us a quick recap of uh kind of where you came from but a twist to your to your question here is uh what are some of the new things you're diving into like what's
2: what's kind of got you excited right now oh boy so so my my career started the same same path as chris playing football in high school and um I was a guy who was allergic to weights in high school. The kids just started lifting weights when I was in high school, and um, they were getting some pretty good results. I wanted no part of it, mm-hmm. um, but I was always pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Got to college, um, played a little ball in college, and started to find the weight room and got really fast. So my thought process was the exact opposite. Like, I got strong, and I got faster. Mm-hmm. So then I started hitting those 4, five, four, four times, and i said to myself you know what i I like this i think i can make myself faster so i kept getting stronger kept getting stronger and i wasn't getting any faster again so i kind of did the whole cyclic thing i came back to okay now i got to go back to what i was doing before which was playing a lot of basketball doing a lot of jumping doing a lot of sprinting then when i went on after college played in the arena football league i signed a contract in uh, canada to play with the rocket ishmael um
0: actually had a (laughs) faster yeah Yeah, remember him
2: (laughs) I was actually I had a faster 40 yard dash than him in in training camp. Nice. Um so that was, that was great. So then I got out and it was a passion. I started chasing Bigfoot, I call it. And I say with Chris all the time is we're constantly looking for what is the best way to improve human performance. And, um, it's, it's something I wake up thinking about in the morning and, and I'm teaching all day long physical education along with running a gym. I'm watching kids move constantly and wondering what separates the elite movers from the normal movers or the kids that struggle. Um, so that passion is with me every day. So the new stuff, how the brain is in charge of everything. And um, that's been the quest for the last five years. And uh, we're finding out some really cool things about your neurology and, and just restoring that that neural hardware in you.
0: I'm curious, though, what, I mean, kind of a side topic with the brain, because I've read some books o- over the past couple years on this kind of. But where's like with kids today? Where's and I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit with social media and other phones. Like, how's that? What have you guys seen? How's that impacting the brain?
2: (laughs) Well, first of all, and anytime you're on the phone, you're not moving. How's that? We'll go with the basics. You're not. That is a good point. Yeah.
3: Right. So you're not navigating either. You know. So
2: so kids got their heads down, their eyes are converging, and their brainstem is getting overloaded. On top of blue light, on top of it's disrupting sleep patterns, they're not moving like they used to move. When I was a kid. We didn't sit around. We were outside playing. And if I came home, All my day. mother was Straight like, go out and, I was, yeah. Right. Go out and play more. Um, so I, I try to, you know, in our phys ed classes, we're telling, put the phones away. Give us 45 minutes where there's no phones and you're moving because ultimately it's going to help your, your classroom teachers. Because if you move, your brain operates better. You think, you think clearer, you think more creatively. So that, that part's been neat to tie in what I do at the school.
3: We've been doing stuff down in uh, Jasper, Indiana, uh, and we started adding you know, really basic RPR stuff and then get up and you do figure eights around chairs and do figure eight patterns in the middle class. Uh, they have brain timeouts where kids get up from their chair, they go in the back and they've got figure eight patterns to get up and walk around. Uh, and when they feel like they got it, they come back and sit back down. They've been having these incredible changes down in that school district. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Just waking some brains up. Just waking them up. You know, there's the assistant superintendent there. His name is Glenn Bekine. Uh, used to be power bench press champion of the world. I think he's the first guy at 242 that benched over seven. Uh, but he's into... You know, what can we do physically to make our kids better? And so he's bringing in all this stuff. And, you know, instead of talking about it, we're going to do it. And so he's a superintendent walking around, set up the chairs. I don't care. We're going to make these kids move. We're going to do this stuff. And so completely throwing away traditional school, and we're going to move. We're gonna Get up and move in the middle of math class. Get up and move in the middle of literature, whatever you're doing. Get in the middle of science in third grade. Uh, and he's been having these great improvements despite the phones and covid and the lockdowns and all that other stuff
1: that's just so important because dan i was with you when i learned this um you know from birth till about two years old that that input from blue light is uh about as addictive as cocaine is and so i mean you have ipads these days where parents kind of you know have their kids watch a little movie or something and calm them down but you know what they're really doing is they're just addicting kids these screens so it's unfortunate, but for a lot of kids, it's probably not even their fault, you know? And then they, they come to us at a later age, yeah. whether it's eight years old or 12 years old or whatever. So I think it's awesome that some teachers are out there doing that, getting them to move because we kind of have to correct that in a way, you know, if we want them to be able to learn or, you know, whether it's mentally
3: or physically. Here when you're walking around campus, look, watch who's looking down at their phone while they're walking and watch how they can't track. They drift. Once you look down at your phone, you instantly start to drift. Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's a, it's a neat time for you with your son. Oh, right? yeah. So now you can watch the motor patterns develop. You can watch the neurology develop right in front of you. And it's like a, it's a teaching age. You can just watch it. It's great. Yeah, It's it's
1: been fun. I was telling Chris uh, earlier, you know, whenever he starts eating solid foods, I, I want to get in more textures. Um, I can't remember who she was. But we we kind of touched on this uh, mm-hmm. a while back. Just every little different type of texture because even that plays a role in a lot of their sensory and um I've got the neurospike ball and I've got uh anything that feels funny, different, you know, that's that's different than what he normally would grab, like a bottle or something, put it in his hands and let him play with it, you know. Yep. And even though he, he doesn't know what he's doing, but kind of desensitizing that, that tactile sensory. So Excellent. it's been it's been cool. It's been really cool.
0: Chris, question for you. You've you've done a ton of work that involves kind of outside uh the box kind of thinking and training. What have been some of your struggles in just selling those methods to athletes, but coaches as well?
3: I think as time goes on, you know, it gets more difficult because kids look at their phone and see what's going on on social media and think that that's that's the way it is. And for most athletes, it's not. Uh, In fact, we only see a a snippet of that athlete moving and jumping onto a box or something like that. Uh, We don't see the whole big picture. i think part of being a good coach is selling kids on on what you're doing and communicating and showing them you know this is why we're doing this and this is maybe why a fancy guy on instagram is doing this and you shouldn't be doing that and here's really what we need to do to get you to where you want to go so i think if you once you make that a a group effort you know you're on this journey together you know i think it it's an easy sell do you ever what about parents you ever
0: getting pushed back
3: from oh, him? sure. You know, because dad did this back in high school. How come you're not doing this? And I said, I kind of, at that point in my career where I can say, well, how many people have you coached? I look at how many people I've coached and look at my record. And that's great. You did this in high school, but science and athletics has changed. You know, what we know yeah. about how to move has changed in 30 years. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm afraid that's where, what's one of the problems with our profession is we are stuck on tradition. We like to do what people have done traditionally because it's safe. And uh, it's tried and true for most people where, you know, that's what everyone's doing. How do you know? Well, I mean, remember back when Nebraska was winning all those national championships? Mm-hmm. Everyone did what Nebraska was doing because they were winning national championships. They forget that, you know, these, they're recruiting these phenomenal athletes as well. And they're going to end up to be a freak
0: athlete no matter what. Yeah, You know what I think, this is just what I've noticed over the years, it's like this profession we're in, it's like some people just are really good salesmen, Yeah. you know, and just able to put the right wrap and sales pitch on that and the hook on that product, even though it may be, I mean, you go back all the way back to Husker Power, I mean, obviously that was, you know, Coach Epley pioneered and sure. set the tone for so many people, but but even back then, they just, they were genius at you know, marketing and pitching that.
2: Chris and I always joke we're not very good marketers.
0: No,
3: my dad always told me you could be ninety percent marketing, ten percent content, or ninety percent content, ten percent marketing. You can't be somewhere in the middle. No, that's no, that's good advice. It's true. And I always thought if you're a true master, you're ninety percent content, and that should that should be enough. Right. Yeah. No, it's the good. Mr. Miyagi thing.
2: You go back to those that that phone thing with kids on the phone or the iPads you talk about the laws of motor development we want gross before fine right gross motor development before fine motor skills we're reversing that genetic code right now with the phones well, you see kids typing text type they don't even and text. Have to look to text right. anymore so kids when you develop like that this. that's a scary thing because now your physiology better match that when you get older or you're going to get hurt or you're not going to be able to move so it's a scary time It's a scary time. I tell my son all the time, put the phone away, we're moving. We're not going to start getting out of line with developing fine motor control first. Yeah. And you can even
1: trace injuries back to when kids were little babies. Sure. And once again, we've watched videos on this where babies don't crawl, you know, in a symmetrical, perfect way. And uh, maybe like the left or right leg is kind of lagging behind a little bit and they're crawling sideways. and. 10 15 years later they're they're playing a sport in that leg that wasn't there's your tip flexor doing, yep. yeah it, it goes out and you wonder why and everyone wants to pinpoint it on something they, I, I think people like to play the blame game a little bit but it's like no you got to go back to the roots and that's the stuff to do
0: yeah i had a question for for coach victor um you're talking about crawling last time you visited with us it's kind of stuck with me dan it's just the whole you know the gate patterning of you know, the, we we were kind of talking about as a staff before this podcast today, but but it's it's definitely something I've taken away from you with my tennis guys, getting them out of that just bilateral position and more more split stance. Can you kind of elaborate again on on kind of like the thought process behind that? And- yeah, we're
2: hard hardwired for gait. I mean, it's the most. If you're going to evaluate somebody's brain and and see how healthy it is or how robust it is, it's how you walk. Right. So when you put one foot in front of the other and your brain has to communicate right hemisphere, left hemisphere, cerebellum, all these things come into interactions with muscular system and skeletal system. It's it's a very complex system that we take for granted and we don't ever program for it. We're always programming bilateral movements or when we're doing unilateral, we have no idea of what part of the brain we're affecting? Is it the PMRF and the stabilization side for the muscular? Is it the voluntary movement? We spend most of our time training the quality of voluntary motor control. We spend very minimal time training the reflexive side of your body. So if I'm moving my left hand, that's controlled by my right brain, okay? That initiates the movement, Mm -hmm. but That right side of my brain fires down my brainstem and creates all the stabilizers so when I reach for something, I don't fall over. That component in strength and conditioning is hardly ever trained. And it's 90% of the output. 10% goes to voluntary movement. That's a scary equation when we're spending the most time on the other side of the equation. So I can get more bang for my buck on the reflexive side.
3: That intrinsic firing (laughs) pattern that happens in thousandths of a second, which actually initiates the whole process and everything that we do. When we're forcing it, you know, putting weights on our back or lifting and all that other stuff happens, we kind of skip over that, and that's not necessary for that movement. But what do coaches always want? We want the twitchy athlete. We're looking for the twitchy guy. And really, when you're in the weight room, you kind of bypass that that entire intrinsic contraction.
2: Yeah, that reflexive system is so paramount in, in training.
0: Well Chris, you had mentioned this and it just occurred to me you were uh, you were visiting with our staff and just to bring that up, uh, this is how we quantify things in the weight room to justify our jobs. But this was not too long ago. I remember you know working with football, and every year we had to have you know an offense and a defensive, large book of everybody's picture and their numbers over their career to see if they had gotten stronger in their numbers, you know, and that, that better, you know, you have better gotten higher and higher each year. If not, your job was in jeopardy. And so that that's kind of, you know, the model that we'd come from, you know, so... And it's safe that way. And and the athletes want to see improvement,
3: too. I mean, we want to show them that your hard work has resulted in this kind of improvement. And it's easy to quantify. You just lay down and push the weight or stand up with the weight. Uh, but I think I, we all know that most sports come down to speed, and sometimes those two don't mix. That's
0: good, yeah. Um, real quick, Chris, to just to touch on another topic. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your spring ankle model? When and how did that come about? And then what are some key milestones, progression markers you look for?
3: Well, as we were talking about earlier today, uh, You get to the point where you have a lot of film on a lot of people, and you have some people that run pretty well, and you're trying to come up with some similarities. Like, what do all these, what traits do all these people have in common? And you can see people who have big knees coming up, or their knee drive isn't so great, or they've got a big kick out the back, but yet they're running the same times. And then when you start to pare it down and really focus in, you start to realize wait a minute, they all have very similar feet. And it's hard to watch because, you know, a lot of times people look at a still to get their idea of what's going on. And it's hard to focus in on feet when you videotape and that. But when you start to focus in, you start to see a lot of similarities between people who can really run. Um, And so we just started breaking that down as to how can we get those qualities. And that's where we came up with spring ankle model, where I think all movement's gonna start with isometrics and there's some basic positions that you can be in and you start having kids or athletes stand up and go, all right, can you do this? And it's like, I can't hold my body weight for five seconds in that position. But wait a minute, I'm asking you to do eight times your body weight in that position. You can't hold yourself. So maybe we need to work on that. Uh, so we kind of put together the three different positions and then we've kind of added to that since then because we've got to the point where, okay, great. I can hold this and now I can hold some weight. You know, how are we going to progress that? How are we going to continue to get there? And so that's kind of how we continued to build on it. Uh, Then we added in some ankle movements, you know, some ankle rocker, forefoot rocker, toe rocker uh, to try to build on that stiffness and you get some pretty good results. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how we got there. And And it worked pretty well. I was telling you guys earlier about the athlete that, he had really bad feet, but he had a great vertical jump—40-inch you know, vertical jump for a high school kid. That's pretty good. Uh, but he was not fast, and he did not have a great long jump. He was a long jumper. Jumped 19-6, which is good, but you're not going to score any points at the state meet. And all we did was foot isometrics with him. I mean, we figured you can already jump. You got plenty of power. You know, if I make you jump 42, I don't think I'm going to make you any faster at this point. Uh, we just did foot stuff, and he jumped twenty-two six,
0: put three feet on his long jump. I mean, you got to think about you, maybe if you ever work with throwers, right? And we've we, we've got obviously a, a really good throw here. Trip at um, Texas, and we Ryan are through here, but those guys, could you? Ma- I mean, you imagine when they're throwing that sixteen-pound implement, right? Right, and it's that last bit where they flick it with their hand to get that snap for it to sail right but think about your feet it's the same thing We're if you don't to have that, that dynamic snap in your feet like your feet are shut off or just weak and you've got this big engine up top and then if you have a i call it a directional foot and it's something
3: that we've been working on recently but where your foot is pushing you to like if you can't make it through to your big toe or inside edge or whatever you want to call it you're pushing somewhere else and you know even a two degree difference i mean if you're shooting a gun or launching something to the moon two degrees is going to make you miss by a lot um so the more we can get you to push straight ahead off your foot the less the rest of your body has to guide to where you're going to that target so the more we can get our feet to do the more the rest of your body can play the sport and that's kind of how we that's how i communicate that with
0: people It's almost like a leak down there, like it just goes wherever, right? It's like
2: water finding a crack, right? You dump water on something, it's going right to the crack. It'll find it. Right, And that's what energy is going to do. It's going to f- spill out the leak spot.
3: And I'm not saying people go out there and say, I'm just going to change my foot pattern when I go sprint and consciously do that. That's not going to work. That's going to slow you down. I mean, there's a process. You have to earn the right to get to that position. And I think that's kind of what we tried to build in the spring ankle is a developmental process to get to that point
0: where your feet do most of your work. Yeah, we had a you know, as a young coach, this is a kind of a funny story, but we had this young lady from Hawaii back when I first started coaching at, at Colorado, and she was from there and went to school there, and my wife and her were good friends. And one day she came in, and uh, she had sandals. like She had some like, flip-flops on or something. And I looked down at her feet, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with her feet? And they were just completely like splayed open, real wide like, like duck feet, and now, as I've gotten older, and you know, obviously, learned more, like our feet are so unhealthy. When you see those toes just all cramped together, and these all these fancy like shoes we wear today, your, your, with an your, elevated heel? So right. you're jammed into the front of the into the front of the shoe. Anyway, so you you made me think of that like our feet are so like the the what we put on them, they're just they're just set up for weakness, you know.
2: And it's the first thing that touches the ground. So it's the first ground interaction for your brain to perceive as a threat. So instantly it's going to start the chain of, uh-oh, what's going to go wrong? I mean, the, the bottom line in all training is, is your body's ability to absorb force. If it can, you're going to do some good things. If it can't, bad things are going to happen.
3: Yeah, it's going to displace somewhere else and then it all goes to hell in the handbasket. I mean, if
2: you watch a good football player hit somebody, right, They are their ability to absorb force is more than the person they're hitting. So bad things happen. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. yeah. And you know, in my opinion, a lot of like the overarching things. So we talked about the ankle, uh the spring ankle model, but with like RPR, neural warm up, um neural testing like what we did uh you know about a year and a half ago. It seems like a lot of this is very like it's all proactive stuff that we're doing. Um and, and I kinda of have a two part question for you guys. Um as much you know proactive as it is why does it always feel like we're so reactive with you know the bad things happening right it feels like we're always kind of correcting stuff when on some of these methods i feel like man you know if we could just get to these athletes earlier and obviously we can't we work with a certain population and at some point they're kids and now just get weird but like you you know it it just always feels like as as proactive as we are we're always a little reactive you know why why do you think that is
2: i think when the that's a good question I, i i think when when things come out like, let's just take a look at the posterior chain, right? Everybody's training their posterior train. I don't think there's a group out there now that's saying don't train your posterior right, chain. Yeah. Have our hamstring injuries gone down? I don't think so. So, okay, let's check that off the box. That ain't it. That ain't it. That could be a part of it. But my thing is, is I, I think that's controlled in your brain at the brainstem level. So your brainstem is responsible for that flexion extension synergy in your body. And if that is disrupted, by a faulty gait pattern or a compensation pattern that sunk in, I don't care how much of your posterior chain you train, the body's going to go with what it can do. Um, and where
3: it feels the safest. Yeah, and if
2: you get really strong in a bad pattern, you're just really strong in a bad pattern. Um, so I think as as RPR kind of spilled out onto the scene, we're starting to understand that you can make these neurological jumps and, and create this neural organization to your gait that makes you more efficient as a mover forget a weightlifter forget uh, whatever else you're doing just a more efficient mover mm-hmm. um, with a healthier brain will create less injuries because now your body is able to withstand the, the perturbations that are going to happen in sport where you know if you're doing just weight room work your body is not prepared to go every which way it's just not right.
3: yeah, i think we get this desire to get strong and we grease the groove and that's not what sport is all about yeah. you shouldn't i have you shouldn't have a groove greased yeah. if you're playing sports because if something goes wrong misstep miss time something like that that's where you blow up
1: yeah it's interesting my you know my background isn't necessarily exercise science you know i i went to college got a poly side degree just so i could get in the marines and, and get moving on with my life and, and just get out to the marines that's what i wanted to do and then I did my master's after that and came here and interned and everything. And it's interesting when I talk to interns now, you know, something I learned along the way is not many interns know the difference between a closed skill and open skill. And what you guys are talking about, the differences right there, like the weight room is very close skill movements. You know where the, the barbell is going to go. It's not going to juke you out. But the minute you get on the soccer field, you have no idea what this this athlete's going to do coming at you with the ball. And, you know, they go left, you try to go left and, you're on there your back, kind of, you know, grabbing your knee and yeah. they're, they're going around you, you know? And so I always find it interesting that even, even some of the kids these days coming up through the circuit of exercise science and everything, they still kind of struggle to grasp that close skill versus open skill concept. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of your stuff really starting to tackle that, you know,
2: you know, what's interesting to, to look at is when I first started out in this field, rehab and performance training, were at a this right they were they were at each other i don't want to do that you guys do that you guys do the swiss ball and then if you tried
3: to do the swiss ball they came after you or if you tried to jump if you tried to go to the other side it's like i saw that in physical therapy i'm not doing that crap you're just pulling the rubber band
2: but now i think it's making a full circle like if you look at it now if you take a look at just concussion research okay well people who can see better don't get concussed hmm That's not strong neck muscles. That's your body's ability to absorb force when you can see it coming, right? So if your periphery is expanded or if you're tired and your periphery decreases because you're fatigued, you're more susceptible to a head injury. So the guy from Cincinnati is doing some great research with that. But I'm looking at it from a performance standpoint going, if I can increase periphery, if I can increase these neural sensors, I'm going to be a better athlete period forget the head injuries yes that's great and that's from a rehab side and a protection that's great but from a performance side you know the more we can see the more we can react to the world and the more we can impart our will on the world if we can see
3: it i mean it's one reason why i really like over speed training whether it's sprinting or agility or any of that things it's It's training your visual system it's training your visual system to happen to be feel safe when it's going faster i mean you guys all remember the first time you went skiing right you know how fast you're going when you're skiing and when it's too fast you suddenly shrink down or when you stand up and you're going to jump off something and it's a little high you kind of squat down a little bit so from a neurologic standpoint it doesn't look as far same thing when you sprint i mean if i can pull you fast and your body says hey i'm alive and i'm going really fast maybe i can do this on my own Uh, there's a guy in japan who i don't know if he's published this yet so i don't know if i can talk about it but uh, has been doing research with overspeed training and a release mechanism and did, you know, it's at Rio Nagahara's place in Japan. So everything's measured. And he said, the best thing you can do for sprint training is get them pulling, hit that release button, and then see what you can do when you're not getting pulled. Really cool research. Uh, I did a 1080 th- thing and he was before me and I'm like, Wait a minute. Pause. Pause. It's live. I can't pause. No, th- dude, I got these questions, but no. So I, I don't know if it's out yet, but that's what he was talking about. It's really cool stuff. But from again, from a neurologic standpoint,
2: reduce threat. Reduce threat. You win. Yeah. Figure out different ways to do it. Reduce threat. I mean, that's why, like when 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 RPR and and, and Douglas Heal and and Sean Sherman and Maple they start talking about reducing threat to the brain and your perceived threat. I'm listening, I'm going, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And again, that goes back to what I say all the time. You're never going to jump 40 inches in the air unless your body believes and your brain believes it can land safely from 40 inches in the air.
3: I'll give you a good story about that. This has happened over Christmas break. So we went scuba diving. I like to scuba dive. I I know he's afraid of the water and like uh,
0: down deep down deep <laughs> oh That's no i'm good on that, that one really afraid too good
3: God, so dude. we're in we're in belize and uh beautiful reefs and all that and on our second day diving we go down and you know i've sharks have been in the water with me before but these nurse sharks six seven eight feet they're like dogs and they're next to you and they bump you but they're and, and they get they're they're bumping you so the first and that first time that that had happened i can't tell you anything about that dive because i was conscious about that shark bumping into me all the time but then the second time i went down there they are waiting for us again and the second time it's like oh i missed all this stuff last time because i was afraid of the shark (laughs) the shark was bumping me i wasn't sure i knew he wasn't going to bite me but still it's a big big shark bumping you my periphery went like this. And one time my wife caught me because I thought they were gone and I'm looking around and then here he comes right in front of my face and I kind of jump and my wife's like laughing at me. It's like, but it's a shark. It's a big shark swimming close to you. I couldn't tell you anything about that dive, anything I saw other than the three large nurse sharks. And they don't attack people. I know that, but still. And again, sharks bumping you.
2: So we'll say 30 football players are going to come in and do the same workout in the weight room. Chris looked at that shark and, and went into a freeze response when his wife is laughing. Yeah. You're telling me the result's going to be the same? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. She's ready. He's not.
0: Never He's, saw him that, coming. Th-
2: but that's how you explain training. There it is right there. You reduce the threat and you're, you're in a good situation. You're in swimming.
3: Good, in a good world, it all boils down to sharks anyway. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I'll live through you, coach. I don't need to see any
0: sharks. <laughs> Yeah, there's
1: a lot of hammerheads down in Hawaii. Guys would go diving next to them. We saw one. I'm uh, good.
0: Just cruised by. We were in about 20 feet of water, and there he went. No, he was big. Good on that one. Um, So, knowing what we know now, what are your thoughts on using some of these methods with kids in sports, like say middle school?
2: In terms of of increasing the ability to move and and reduce the threat, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I, I I tell our kids all the time. I trick them. I trick them, hand-eye coordination stuff, right brain, left brain activities. Um, I just trick them because at that point they don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They just know they're moving cleaner. They're they're behaving better. Um, I do it with my son all the time. Like Chris was talking about, infinity walks. He spends a lot of time with different colored glasses on doing infinity walks in my kitchen while he's reading, while he's dribbling his basketball why do so,
0: infinity walks why does
2: that work it's figure eight complex movement pattern that's constantly have your changes, eyes
3: flip, flips the sides of your brains
2: it's that corpus callosum that's working on both sides of your brain
0: that's all i do for agility work i've seen some of this um and i can't it was one of our cal calls it goat training oh, the goat, the goat oh. drill yeah.
2: i'll tell you what though it, it's you can just walk backwards walking backwards is a phenomenal neural reset fantastic we do it in between our flying tens um we had our phys ed class do it that's part of their warm down they walk backwards the kids love it they're laughing but some kids struggle to they're constantly looking over their shoulder (laughs) but your brain's got to concentrate on exactly what's going on so now we got increased cerebellum activation if you think about the foot and how it's going to hit the ground when you walk backwards it's exactly what happens when you sprint
0: yeah you no, know, you do gotta when you're walking backwards, especially like I'll we'll use that on like heel training, walking backwards. You definitely gotta lock in mentally, or you'll you'll be yeah. on the ground. I have the parents, the middle school athlete parents, that show up with their kids to do assessments and things
3: like that. And so, coach, what, what what can we do? What you know, I want my my son wants to be this. How can we get him there? So, well, go to the jungle gym, go down to the park. Hang around. <laughs> make obstacle courses. How fast can you get through the obstacle course? Go out to the forest reserve, go sprint through the forest because now your periphery has to pick up all the branches and eventually you're gonna have to pick up your head to see where you're gonna go. And it, you just kind of create this sense, this awareness of everything around you while you're trying to make things happen fast. And you learn, you learn where to put your foot. You learn, well, that's a big thing. I, I got to jump that differently. Uh, and that's the ultimate And basically what what we do? I mean, you watch a dog go sprint through the forest. Have you ever seen a dog look down to see where its feet are going when it sprints mm-hmm. through a forest? That's ideally what we want to develop. And you've never seen your dog trip, have you?
0: Mm-mm. No, I have not. You kind of remind me of the the story you're telling. when You, you want to talk the, about sharks again, don't you? No, no, dogs, no, dogs, dogs, no dogs. I'm good. I'm going to live through you. <laughs> but some of the old like Russian training tapes, to some of the Soviet, and, oh, they um, did that a lot. Like, they out in the woods, like, you know, running across logs, grabbing trees, swinging, jumping off ledges. Being an athlete.
2: Yeah, and for lack of a better word, because it's the most popular word in training right now, robust. You're trying to become more robust of a mover in terms of all the different environmental factors that go into where your foot hits the ground, when it hits the ground. Disturbing that process makes you, again, help you prepare that threat level.
0: Yeah, uh, we recently had... I can't remember. I'm blanking on the guys' names, but we had the rogue um, strongman. Those guys were in town, Mm. just a couple. And I've never seen the most massive human beings lift this weight, and it was kind of interesting. Brian Shaw was the. He's like one of the big names. He apparently he trains like with all the technology, and he's got all the bells. Got the fancy gym, and I forget the other guy's name. He trains just so like medieval. But he's both of them are really good at high level what they do one that uses different methodology the other one a, a different kind but I, I don't know i find it interesting i think um futuristic i think we're getting back to some of the stuff that like hey we kind of left this stuff we really need this you know with the, all this technology and these fancy social media and gyms and mm-hmm. like we're missing these big pieces that was you know they actually worked and yeah the body the body needs that kind of we're training missing you the know? moving piece right
2: <laughs> it's yeah. crazy we're movement coaches and we're not moving. We need to move.
0: Yeah. I'm curious for for you, Dan, like you've talked about this before, but with your guys, what do you do? Simple things you do in the weight room. You mentioned like marching before anything else.
2: Yeah. Our, our whole <laughs> weight room stuff during the season for football, and I'm the football coach, is outside. We, we train outside during the season. Mm-hmm. So we have water bags. We have um, plyometric stations.
0: Cool. Yeah. Now Wait, go, go a little further with that. Like Let's... a water bag. So
2: it's on your back. It maybe weighs 15 pounds, yeah. but it's
3: got water in it. You can change the – so actually the more water there is in there, the slower it happens. So the less water in there, the faster yeah, you have it, to re... –
2: the, the weight shifts. Okay. So, so most people, and I, I tell people this all the time, so when you train acceleration, right, and everybody trains it, you either have your hands against a wall and you're doing your, your normal track drills that you do where you punch your knees up, or you're pulling a sled, or you're running uphill. Those are the ways that people train acceleration, right? So what we're trying to say is, why don't we take the upper body, make that unstable? Then watch what happens from a motor organization of your lower half, right? So when you put that water bag up top and all those co-contractions of the spine take place, the lower half of your body, the lower shanks, they behave the way survival should behave. They stiffen up, tendons stiffen, foot placement becomes proper for oh, survival. Yeah. Makes sense. Because the upper body's unstable, right? We spend so much time in therapy or whatever doing up. our lower body unstable. That does nothing for us. So so now we have, to, we have no stability when we accelerate in sport. We have to lean and we got to go. Hope we don't fall on our face but we train it with all kinds of stability. We lean on stuff, we hold stuff behind us and pull sleds. That's all creating a platform in which we can lean on that we don't have in sport. Yeah. Yeah. So agree. we use the water bags.
1: Yeah, and I remember Chris had a good example of this, is when a quarterback throws a pass and a receiver turns to catch it and the pass goes flying over his head, it's just his inability to turn and,
3: turn and maintain sprint.
1: his speed. Yeah. Upper body, lower body separation, nobody yeah. trains it.
2: Right. Nobody trains it. And so we do all those things. <laughs> In season, out on the field. We don't even make it back to the weight room. Right. Take...
3: That's one of the big jumps we had when I worked with David Montgomery. I still work with him. But uh, when he came from his first year at the Bears and came to me, and that was one of the things we identified is, first of all, can you take your upper body and take it off your lower body? I think when uh, the Jags figured out back when Milo was there, you know, Thirty percent of a football game, you're not. Your torso is not square on your hips. That you're off, but yet we never train that. Yeah. Uh, and then we made his upper body unstable, so his lower body became more stable. And I call it the Thicker Drill. Yeah. Uh, you take a stick, and you take rubber bands behind, and it goes to a rope, and you hold the stick out, and you can do one hit the one-legged hops or acceleration. Yeah. You pull back and forth. And in a running back, your upper body's always unstable because you have got all kinds of people hitting you. Yeah, hitting you so yeah. we've got to make that lower body more stable. So when you get hit in the upper body, you keep going forward.
2: It's amazing when you put those, when you put a stick on somebody's back and you put two rubber bands on it, and you stand behind them like you're, you know, controlling the horse, and they run. You don't tell them anything about acceleration. They get into that position, you create the perturbations, mm-hmm. and you watch just film their feet. They're perfect. You're not coaching it it becomes perfect because it's a survival mode. You have to put your foot in the right spot at the right time with the right stiffness or you're going to fall.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you'd be on the ground.
3: And if not, I mean, I've got video of David doing it on my phone where the first time we did it, his whole upper body compensated to try and get the foot to hit in the right place. And he took the whole thing off the side. And you actually see his torso pulled 20 degrees to the right, trying to get his foot in the right place. But then the next rep, he came back you know, I made fun of him, and then he comes back, and then he learned. He that's learned how to put it. That's the motor learning
2: process. He learned right away. And failure that, in it, you're going to learn fast.
3: And that's one thing that I think differentiates the levels of athlete is how fast you learn in those difficult situations and how fast you can make those adjustments. Uh, and that's really what we want to have happen because we want, you know, well now he's got to play 17 games, but we want those guys to make all 17 games. Yeah. Yeah, and I've always thought, too, I'm,
1: I'm a big hockey nerd, so I even think, too, now you, now you take a sport with an implement in your hands and a moving puck that's moving way faster than a ball. Yeah, I'm talking and, about that tomorrow. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you save some for that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, the speed of the game, I when I started playing when I was getting a little older, and eventually I had to stop because I just wasn't good enough, but, I mean, the speed of the game is just so fast, and to have that ability to do that, you can see the difference between the best players and the worst players, like a Conor McDavid, the easy example, That's why you can make NHL players just look so
2: silly because, I mean, you just keep going and he's looking the other way. I broke into the business training hockey players and I knew nothing about hockey. So I had to go watch games. So the first time I went, I'm like, I'm watching them and I'm, I'm watching it watching it. I I get, we get done. I'm asking, these are three pretty well-known players. I'm like, you guys play for 30 seconds. How hard could it be? And they're laughing. (laughs) They're laughing and, and, then i started to study it a little bit and i'm like wow
3: it's a pretty dynamic game yeah
2: and you got to have your head on a swivel your periphery better be good your hand-eye coordination better be there your stiffness better be there at the right time so there's a lot of different qualities to go into it and uh, you take a guy like brian gianta and you put him in a 20-yard dash he'll blow everybody's doors out he's unbelievable he could be a punt returner in the nfl that's how fast he was oh yeah um and that's how he played on the ice it was unbelievable
1: yeah. There's a video of Gretzky racing three other athletes. I can't remember their names um, off the top of my head, but I mean, he blew them all away. None of none of them hockey players. One of them was more of a runner yeah. than anything. I would have like, put
2: Brian Gianta again. I was training some fast dudes at the time, and Brian Gianta yeah. would come to those workouts and run with those guys.
3: I mean, an athlete's an athlete. Yeah, that too. An athlete's an athlete. They can move,
0: and they can adjust to whatever their environment is. Sure. I'm curious the uh, part of my kind of story of getting into performance years ago was just kinda of like the weight room was starting to really take away from just being a good you know, a good ball player. I mean in, in your guys' experience, like what what are some things you if you, you, you see a kid like maybe this this pro football player that you work with, what was his name? Again? Dave Montgomery. I'm sure this guy's strong, right? Yeah, he's a sixty foot shot putter. Yeah, how do you know like whether it's he throw it twice? Holy cow! That's a lot. Yeah, how? What? What are some things you look for? If maybe somebody's overpowered, or they're just not. The weight room or starting to take away from from the actual game. Like, what do you? How do th- you recognize that? It, is it
3: powerful enough? Like, if I made, if I took someone like David and I made him stronger, I don't think it would improve his game at all because he's already strong enough. Mm-hmm. Can I make him move the bar faster? Well. He already moves the bar really fast so i don't think he's done that already and i I don't have actual numbers but when you watch it and you've seen other people move the bar you go yeah that's good enough you know i don't know if but yeah yeah, when you watch him move you go ah there's something there's something there's something so you you actually watch them move and you film it and you break it down and say here's something here's something and here's something Um,
2: db hammer came up with are you a neuro rate athlete where your body can turn on and turn off very quickly or are you are a neuro duration athlete that is just pure maximum strength. Right. And then there's right in the middle where this neural magnitude, which is explosiveness. I think you can actually watch somebody walk and tell which side of the equation they're on. Like if you watch David Montgomery walk. He's right in the middle, man. He's, he's right there. He's strong enough. He's got the twitch. He's got the ability to turn on and turn off rapidly. You watch some of these high school kids that come in that are really strong, they're stuck on the floor. They're mm. stuck on the floor just by the way they walk, <laughs> yeah. right? Their, their neurology is just slow because they're bilateral movers. Um, so I think watching people move gives you a great idea of how you should train them.
3: I mean, even when they stand, you can see how someone stands, you go, yeah, I got an idea what this person does. And my fear is with high school athletes, especially high school football players, is I see this, can't straighten their arm, so they're in constant flexion, and then their shoulders roll forward because they've bench pressed and curled way too many workouts. I know that kid can't move just from his shoulder posture. He's gonna be tilted over way too far. And he's never gonna be able to sprint. He's gonna kick everything out the back. And almost fall he's in he's in a true stumble pattern instead of getting up to sprint
2: in our in our small little world that we have with cal and chris myself matt van dyke we call it one set
3: of one one set of one you walk around like this that's a
2: one set that's of a one, one set of one that guy. guy that guy is not going to be running away from anything he's that's running to you one set of one one, one set, set of one,
3: one. I like
1: it i like it so i mean i feel like it's safe to say a great deal of your work involves you know a much deeper understanding of the central nervous system in the brain as it relates to you know, development, performance. You know, I you know, my question is like you know, where do we go from here? I mean, I feel like, you know, athletes today have a lot different habits and patterns than athletes ten years ago.
3: Three um, years ago.
1: Three years ago. Uh, you know, beside we kinda of, we already touched Think on the phones, of the lack but... of
3: tendon strength that was not developed from not walking for eighteen months because you've been locked in your basement in front of a computer.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: We saw that coming out of track season last year where we were locked down a year, and then the lovely state of Illinois gave us a seven-week season in June last year. But we had to deal with kids that hadn't done anything for an entire year. Oh, yeah. And how are you going to bring them back to that? And, and what happened to muscle atrophy, uh, tendon strength, ligament strength, uh, aerobic systems, you know, all the different cycles? And think of the junk they pumped into their body, staying up till 3 in the morning every night, just completely wrecked. And I think we're going to feel that pinch for a generation. And I don't care if you're a kindergartner or a ninth grader or a senior going through that. I think that is something that's going to leave a lasting mark on our athletes. And I think that's going to have to be a prime concern for strength coaches is, we've got to really go back to basics here. I know these are great fancy exercises and I, I want to be pumped about them and I've seen them on YouTube or whatever, but I think we need to go back to basics because of what they lost in those 18 months.
2: And think about the cognitive impairment that's been going on with young kids in school not being able to see people's faces and how they react and in speech development and body language from the mass. I, I'm a school teacher. I'm halfway through the school year I don't know half my kids because I can't see their face imagine a young kid who's trying to learn and and look at the mouth move or the reactions of people or the smiles you know how many times I walk in the supermarket and I'm smiling at somebody and I don't even say hello I'm just smiling and my mask is covering it they can't see me right that's a big deal and that that we're not gonna feel that tomorrow we're gonna feel that down the road a little bit these kids and I feel bad for that but as coaches, we've got to address that. We got to move. We got to get back to movement.
3: Yeah, it can cool. be basic stuff. I mean, really basic stuff like line hops. Let's do a whole bunch of line hops today, just side to side or front to back, really fast for thirty seconds. Get those goals. springs working again. Get those springs working again, and that's what we had to go back to. Yeah.
1: No, that's that's a good point. I, we talked to Coach Dan Paft during, uh, yeah. during mm-hmm. the COVID break, and he he mentioned. Uh, the internal biological clock of an athlete and how the season goes and so we're used to i'll go back to hockey because i love that sport so summer's off fall winter we're playing spring you're probably going on vacation summer you're back to training and it's been that way for these guys their entire life if you grew up in russia it's been that way since you were two years old probably um so you know now COVID hits the season changes and um, the NFL season changed too, and, and he predicted at the time it was just a slew of injuries. And sure enough, last NFL season, I mean, I was watching ESPN and they just went down the laundry list of injuries. It was crazy. out of control. It's
2: yeah. crazy. So, well, if you think about it, uh, who's the guy who does the tendon research? David Barr, is that his name? Barr? Keith Barr. Keith, Bar. David, yeah. Uh, Keith, Keith, Keith Barr. Barr. Yeah, Dr. Keith Barr. Keith Barr, yeah. Going. Fantastic stuff, right? And so yeah. you sit around, those, those tendons stiffen, then you go run, tear. Right. right? You do want stiffness, but you got to make it you got to make it get into shape a little bit. There's got to be just, a middle
3: middle yeah, part. And it's not completely stiff.
2: That's a big part of it. Back in the day for the hockey players, it was if you won the Stanley Cup and you're coming into your training late in the season, right? Because you're going to start back up again. Mm-hmm. So that was trying to navigate that stuff. Now it's nobody's doing anything.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. People wondered too, you know, if like championship teams win and they come in the next season maybe start a little slow and everyone's like, "Oh, you know they're tired. They're not going to do you know do well again. It's like yeah, it give them some time to catch up. But, um, yeah, I don't think people obviously would never. That's consider why the Bulls when the, the Bulls
3: had Michael Jordan, while why that was so amazing because they did it year after year after year, and that's a really long postseason.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know we're going. You know, we're we just started a new semester here, but I know one of my teams, volleyball, we've gone through eighteen months of just being in season. We had a fall season when COVID first hit. So fall of 20, spring of 21, and then we went back into fall of 21. So we went fall, spring. We had three seasons back to back to back. And we literally got – one of the kids said it today in the gym. She goes, you know, I've never been through an off-season. She'd been here almost two years. That's, crazy. That's scary. <laughs> and I'm just like – That's a lot. But, but that hit me like yeah. I, I need to think remedial like don't think you know
2: well here's the thing too and and it happens a lot with basketball players and and i'm gonna take a group of female basketball players especially with the acl injuries that in the last 10 years female basketball if if you've watched it it's incredible like the the skill level of of these young ladies is incredible so what happens is if your physiology isn't prepared for the skill level you have in your brain you're going to get hurt So if you go back to back seasons and you haven't prepared your body for it, again, your brain still thinks it can do that. I had a girl that was in high school, probably the best basketball player, male or female, that I've ever trained. She could have been a starter on the guy's team in high school. She went to Duke. Six ACL tears. I got her on her, I think, going into her six six ACL tears. And she was unbelievable. So she comes into the gym. (laughs) Right. She comes into the gym and I, I interview her. I watch her move, and her mom's like, "She's got this ACL tear, and this surgeon did this." I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" She said, like, "What do you think?" I go, "We got to work on her feet." She's like, no, "No, no, she tore her ACL six times." I'm like, "Okay, we're gonna work on her feet." We all we did that off season was strengthen her feet. Vertical jump went up. She's like, "I've never, i never felt so good. My knees feel great." But so her career ended because one of the <laughs> one of the screws in her knee rusted had an infection and then they had to go back in and clean that out. Then she was done. But she put on four inches in her off season of just stimming the bottom of her feet, getting in sand and getting her feet strong. When people were telling me, no, you can't do that because of... yeah. we're doing it for a different reason. Right. So we developed her feet, knee issues gone. Oh, yeah. So you have to prepare your body for, yeah. for what skill level you want.
0: So question kind of to add to that, where, where's your thoughts on this like multi, like young kids, multi-sports? Kind I, of develop- I like them playing sports. Yeah, instead of just one. Yeah. yeah,
3: multiple seasons, change seasons, change sports, take a break. Play in different
2: environments.
3: But this idea to travel, you know, you, we're, we're asking adolescent kids to go travel and go play seven games in a 20 or a 48-hour period of I've time. I've
0: done that. I've taken that class. It's yeah. no fun. That's
3: what professional athletes do. I mean, that's really what differentiates professional tennis players, golfers, even NFL players, is how well do you travel to play one game? And we're asking our kids to play six, seven, eight, twelve. My son this weekend played fourteen volleyball games in forty-eight hours. That's ridiculous. What are we what are we putting our kids through?
2: Here's what I tell my kid. He plays basketball, lacrosse, soccer, flag football. He plays everything. And on a Saturday, I get up in the morning, and I don't stop moving, taking him places. At the end of the day, we go and train. And he asked me, what, oh, you're am, those parents. what am I doing? I go, I, I don't care about what you're doing right now. I care about preparing your body for what you're doing because mm-hmm. you're not doing that. You're, all you're doing is playing. We got to make sure you're ready for it. And it's not like we lift heavy weights. We just do movement things make his brain work understand that type of communication that needs to happen between his growing body and his brain mm. and and some of the coaches will look at me oh you're that dad And no, no no i'm doing it to protect against yeah. that because th- what his schedule is will hurt him down the road
3: yeah cal kind of put his son through that where cal was overseeing all these games and all these travel games and was putting oh what's it omega he was omega waving him to yeah. check him and all that and cal would pull him he said you're done was dad we're going to whatever No, you're not no, we're, staying
0: we're, home.
3: we're staying home this weekend see
0: the trip to the er yeah yeah
3: it's crazy it's, it's what's crazy, more of like? the
0: money driving it not it's the Some. revenue not what's best for the kids i found this know? out this
3: week does anyone want to in chicago this guy told me who's one of these coaches, uh, club coaches. He's making $200,000 a year being a club soccer coach.
2: Are you kidding me?
3: No. How did I miss that boat?
2: <laughs> I want to get on that just, podcast. Just, just schedule <laughs> some
3: games. Two, wow.
0: Yeah, it's because, the, unfortunately, the parents will definitely, they'll, they'll sign up for it. Oh, They'll do it. So
3: Let kids be kids. Go play.
0: See, so you got us rambling. Yeah. No, I have, no. This, this is,
3: is not what we came here to talk about. Yeah. Well, this is this
0: is my world too. I mean, I have four daughters. One of them's in the club system right now, and so you know, you hear different philosophies and thoughts. And being a, a coach, you know, you definitely want to help your try to help your kid out, sure, so. because they have dreams
3: and goals. and like with my children, they do not want to have anything to do with my my trajectory form. Like, yeah, Dad, my daughter said this to me freshman year. Good, really good basketball. Remember no how good yeah, Aurora was? She goes, Dad, I'm just letting you know right now, I have zero intention to play basketball or any sport in college. I'm just playing sports to have fun and be with my friends and have a good time. Freshman year, she came out and told
0: me that. That's so good, yeah. And that's okay. And and I had
3: to, because, you know, as a dad and, you know, I'm this strength and speed guy, you know, I had these dreams of training my daughter and, you know, just like every other parent because I wanted her to have the same experience that I had in college. And uh, she came out freshman year and said, yeah, I won't be training with you. Um,
0: I play to have fun, and you're gonna have to learn to live with it, Dad. Coach, one of the worst mistakes I ever made was trying to coach my daughters. That didn't go well. Dan didn't go well. <laughs> Dan's
3: lucky. Colt goes along with it. He loves it. He does. He
0: that's that's it. a rare. I feel like uh, I I did it for a little while, but just I don't know. For me, I was just not as patient with yep. him, you know, as you would be with like your normal athletes, but. Because I, cause I live with him, obviously, and they're their dad. So the, we, I took him to a guy to work with him. Like, yeah, Dad, we, we like working with him better than yeah, you. He's nicer. That,
2: that's coming. I know it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> He's
3: nicer. Yeah, my son picked a sport I know nothing about, and that's what he went with.
2: Smart
0: kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more question? One more? Well, at least we may have more. But... So the information uh, and work you both present stems from a deeper understanding the most about the body and more specifically brain function as it pertains to athletic performance. So for our young listeners out there, all right, um, where's a good starting point for them before they just run out and do like an RPR certification? Like what would you recommend kind of where they start before they go too deep?
3: Well, I think the, the best thing to do is to get out and coach people. I don't care who it is. Whatever grade level they are, if they're good or they're bad, you know, if they're good athletes or if they're horrible athletes, get out and put your eyes on people and start watching. Um, If you have to, film the workouts and then go back and look to see what's happening with the exercise. Um, There's tons of courses out there, you know, at TFC, we've recorded all those. Dan said the other day, a young coach, they could just listen to TFC lectures from all the people we've had and, and do great but i really think get out and coach whoever you can watch things move don't just watch people move watch dogs move watch cats move watch how the bird takes off from the ledge you know look at that stuff because there's carryover into other things and just get develop an eye for watching people move or watching things move be patient sit and watch
0: people move sitting at the airport watch them walk watch people walk by see what you pick up you know. That's, you know, that's early, early in my coaching career, I started taking some neuromuscular classes therapy. And that's what we learned a lot was just watching gait patterning. Mm-hmm. And you can, and it's funny how you can see things that your eye starts to pick up of what's going on. But, you know, I, I've always felt like our interns, even our young coaches here, they do, they, the best ones are taking classes and courses, but they're also coaching. Yeah, and they're getting both. They're they're taking. Hey, you got to
2: be in. You got to be immersed in it. Yeah, to see how. So there's a lot of people will come out and have all this knowledge, and you still have to apply it to a human being and have an interaction with them and be able to coach them and teach them and guide them. That's a huge part of coaching, right? You could be, you could hold all the knowledge in the world if you can't communicate with people, and and get your passion and have them buy it and light their fire mm-hmm. you're going to struggle mm-hmm. so i'd say learn how to interact with people learn how to learn go listen to people understand how they coach might not be the way that you coach but take something good from it. I, i'll tell you what I, i've never been to a course and i've been in a lot of different courses where i haven't learned something even the stuff that i don't like i studied olympic lifting i don't have any of my athletes do olympic lifting at all i sat down with a pretty high level olympic lifting coach and we went tit for tat talking about technique and he's like why why are you talking about this you don't even do it i'm like it didn't mean i didn't want to learn about it
0: right yes. i want
2: to know why i don't want to do it or i want to know why this i could use this variation of it so learn your craft and then learn the communication part i think that's the most important part is how you develop relationships in that weight room
3: and don't be afraid to break the mold try stuff You know, I'm very open with my athletes. I said, we're going to try this. I got this idea. Here's what I see. Here's what I think we can try. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, like, yeah, we'll give it a try.
2: I don't try what I used to try because I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Yeah,
3: I mean, you've jettisoned a lot of stuff that you know is not going to go. But still, fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Nobody's going to quit and not come back if you picked a bad exercise. You know, if, especially if you're open, there's, yeah, that didn't work out very well, did it? No, we won't do that again.
2: And, and and the fundamental thing when people talk about programming, this is as simple as it can get. Athlete comes into your gym, and I say to them, "What hurts? Oh, this hurts. This. What have you been doing? This, this, this. this. Okay, we're not doing that. It's that simple. We're not doing what you were doing to hurt you. We're doing something else. So therefore, you won't be hurt. Oh, okay. They start doing it, they get better. That that's how simple it is. I know that maybe crushed a lot of
0: egos and stuff. No, but so that happened do to me. Different. We had a, a great tennis player from Japan. Uh, his name his name was he's graduated now, Yuya Ito. Just a phenomenal athlete. Been his dad trained him from when he was real little. Had videos of it, and so when he came to to the U.S. here at Texas, didn't didn't really like the weight room. Ended up you know, messing his back up, some stuff I was doing with him. I was like, wait a minute. He went over to Japan. They they did evaluations on him, came back. He's like, I'm not fooling away some more. So I was like, great. I just lost this kid. He's not going to do anything. So I had to re-kind of, I had to do different things with him. And basically, he had to feel better. Like, whatever was bothering him, we had to not do that that made him hurt. Yeah. And so I had to kind of re-engineer and kind of try some different things with him. He had his own little program and i did i had to switch up some other guys but he ended up man having a great career here we ended up winning the national championship in 19 but but a, a, again a guy that like to your point chris like you've gotta you know when you make mistakes i think that takes some humility for sure oh. to be like yeah that was not good i need to kind of back the, up
2: yeah and in the moment you were probably like oh this is terrible right now you're oh, going yeah. you know what i learned a ton from that situation. and then figure
0: out why it didn't work
3: mm-hmm. and I always question what you're doing i mean you have to be your hardest judge uh don't wait for social media or anything like that question what you're doing and think about what you're doing and why am i going to do that again why am i getting rid of that and i think a lot of people just get set in this i got a six-week program and this is what i'm going to stick to i'm going to see what happens at the end of the six weeks but yeah. by week two it's not going well what do you think is going to happen week three week four week five yeah, it's, week not six. Get better. it's not yeah. going to get better
2: i got a story i was at a high level institution i was listening i went into a meeting they had me up to talk more of a, more along the rehab side and i'm sitting in the meeting and they're talking programming and i'm getting nervous because i don't understand half the numbers they are talking about nor do i how did you come up with that so we leave the meeting the guy who brought me in is like what, what were you so you were like fidgety in there i've never seen you like that before. i said I, I i got i got nervous all the numbers we're doing three sets fours, five, five two we're gonna round this one and we're gonna go here 70 percent." i'm going how do they know all that stuff like, did somebody give him the answer key? Because I've been looking for it for a long time. It's not that easy. See,
3: people change. People yeah. adapt. And hopefully it doesn't work out that way because you're adapting faster than what yeah, Tudor Pampa figured out yeah, in Bulgaria stuff, back in 1972. I don't think that
0: stuff is. <laughs> I, got, I got a fun question before you. I know we're getting close here on time. but So if both you, Dan, and Chris had a crystal ball, where are we headed in performance? the next five, ten. Dan and I are both gonna be retired from
3: teaching here in the next couple of years.
2: <laughs> I'll be moving down here.
3: We have plans, we're gonna build a complex yep. down here. We're gonna bring our dogs yeah. and train people. My wife doesn't know this yet, so she never listens <laughs> to any of my podcasts. So she won't, know. she won't you're know, you're safe. <laughs> Kel said he's coming down too. Kel's welcome. Yeah. Uh,
2: uh, where do I think it's going? Um, I think we're all big enough we're all strong enough we're all fast yeah. enough it's can we trick our nervous system to display that and I think it's all brain based I really do I mean I when you have an 80 year old woman gets out of a car and flips it over to get somebody or grandchild out of the car everybody's yeah, capable of do that yeah. of doing I'm waiting that.
0: for the YouTube video on that
2: yeah it's out there
0: <laughs> somebody videoed it so you can't hide nothing today you can't <laughs> if
2: granny flipped the car over we'll find it yeah well, then but no one, I think no one, it's no one even all
0: trusted it.
1: they'd say it's all uh, it's all doctored yeah but yeah that's funny
2: I just think somewhere along the line when you're dealing with the reflexive system we're talking about strength levels so quick that, that we've never seen before
0: yeah we did I read a book with our I forget the name of it it's, it, it evades my mind but they're seeing this gap in these world records are getting, it's getting longer and longer between these, these sequential years of things being, you know, because the ceiling, just think about the, you know, like, like a Usain Bolt, Usain Bolt, I mean, breaking that record. I mean, how often does a guy come along that has gene- his genetic potential, but then can train, be trained, right, to break those records? I, mean, I how- don't think we understand how, what
3: incredible feat that was for him to run those times. Right i don't think the general population gets how incredible that olympics was for him where he broke all those records and what a freak i mean when will a guy live like that again you know i mean anyway yeah Yeah, it's it's amazing that's i think that's what's fun to do is you think about once you have the knowledge base that we all have here and you see what some of these people do and you've seen like some great athletes you're like that's not even close to what that dude did that's incredible and you see some of the things that they do and it's like humans are really amazing really amazing creatures and that's
2: kind of like that's a good question to end on because that's our story we're, we're chasing and i say all the time we're chasing bigfoot i don't know if it exists and how far we can get to yeah. it or how close we can get or if we're going to get real footage of them but we're chasing them
0: he, the, the book real quick, uh, Endure, Alex Hutchinson, I think. if okay. re- y'all read that book? Anyway, he talks about it. It's a lot on the mind yeah. and brain, but just I keep hearing our time with you guys is just the great coaches can get those kids to that, just get that next gear, you know, whatever that is. And that's 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 what keeps us all going, I feel like.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's that personal relationship and yeah. the, the shared journey.
1: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting what you said, you know, you're chasing Bigfoot, but the funny piece on all that is the information is out there though. I mean, it's, it's all here. I mean, you know, when I did a lot of that work with you and Matt, you know, we're, we're pulling information on the brain from stuff that neurosurgeons are reading and, you know, I wouldn't call it routine surgery, but they're, they're, they already know it. It's already published and it's, it's there. It's just, I think how willing are we to reach out to these yeah, places that it. no one else is looking like, what rocks are we not looking under?
2: Right. You know, I, it was funny because when, when I first started doing some neurology stuff at, at these TFC conference of people, oh, that's it, the voodoo man. You you do voodoo, I'm like, ah. So okay, now, yeah, voodoo. I'm, voodoo yeah, guy. And I, yeah. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I like it.
3: Cajun food too.
2: So now we've got names for it. it's. If I increase your range of motion by doing some type of neurological trick or a hack, that's a motor performance that I just increase. You string a whole bunch of motor performances together, that becomes motor learning and that's the game. And I'm the voodoo man, that's what that's I'll do, thing. yeah. That's what I'll do.
1: Well, I think we're getting close to the end here, Coach. Uh, you know, if someone want to reach out to both of you guys and, and contact you for more information, what is the best way to do that? Chris, we'll start with you.
3: Uh, Slow Guy Speed School is my website it's about 10 years old and really bad but it does have my phone number and my email address (laughs) on it there's a link somewhere on there there's a link somewhere on there
0: 90 content yeah i don't even
3: have the password anymore so i really don't know who controls my website
2: it (laughs) just keeps sending you money (laughs) that's okay
3: (laughs) i don't get it right right um i'm not huge on social media i'm trying to get away from that as much as possible because I don't think it helps coaching at all that I put some fancy exercise out there that I'm doing for one particular athlete and I'm going to wreck 10 complete strangers that I've never seen before because someone saw it and says I got to try this
2: good yeah And on the flip side of that, I love the comments I get from some people on some of the posts that I make. I I laugh. I do it sometimes to make people comment. Yeah, I'm at WGF1 on Twitter and and same thing on Instagram. Um, Our website's under design. It's been under design for 10 years.
3: And we Um, both have a ton of content on the Track Football Consortium website. Uh, Articles, uh, all of Dan spoke at every tfc we've had yep. except for one you're gone yeah, on
2: one. I miss tampa
3: you missed tampa where
2: i had my gym yeah yeah um and then I, I two guys instrumental for me outside of the rpr stuff is is sean sherman and matt Boley with the, the ip course and posturalogy and and sean doing this his square one these things are are they're game changers they're game changers in the neural world and um it's just a, it's a matter of time before it all becomes you know it's going to be out there and people are going to understand it and it's a brain game. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, good stuff. Well, coach Chris, coach Dan, thank you so much. We'll hopefully get you some good Texas food uh, while you're in town here in I Austin. Hear you got barbecue here. We do got barbecue. <laughs> we can get into some Controversy with North Carolina. I know different people back home in the South. I grew up in the South, okay. but I, I'm definitely partial to Texas barbecue. Remember, now, Chicago's so.
3: got good barbecue too. I know.
0: Yeah. I just want a
2: steak.
3: Ooh. What we'll to find a good
0: something?
3: <laughs> he can cook a mean steak.
0: I like it. Yeah. So Austin's become a yeah definitely a big foodie place. But uh, yeah. anyway, we'll we'll try to get him taken care of, Coach Joe. That oh, sounds yeah. like a good plan. But we got Friday night and Saturday night. I think we we can, got it. I think we can get it done. We can do it. Well, that's it. For the Team Behind the Team podcast, again, Donnie Mae, Joe Krawczyk, Dan Fichter, Coach Chris Corfus, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. Y'all have a good one. Hook them. Hook them. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.